BWI is live here on Monday. Good afternoon. I'm your host, Thomas Frankar. BWI Live. Penn State wins 28-20 over Auburn in their annual whiteout game. And the BWI staff and I are here to recap that game and tell you, at least in our opinion, what that means, what that win means going forward for Penn State football, along with some other news and notes that come up. First off, let me introduce who is with me today. Uh, above me on the screen, you see Dave Eckert. He is our staff writer here at Blue White Illustrated. Good afternoon, Dave. How you doing, T. Frank? This is going to be fun. And of course, our resident expert on all things football, our opiner and our muse, our leader in the company, Nate Bauer senior editor at least our leader here the most senior of us here on the channel nate good <laughs> afternoon what's going on man how are you i'm doing good uh it was a long weekend with very little sleep but penn state football uh in a primetime game wins 28 20 i want to get your guys initial thoughts on the game and then i'm going to ask a quick follow-up question something that i asked tom hannafin on our bwi live post game show uh, about that game last night. But, Nate, what were your initial thoughts about the, the game that uh, Penn State played on Saturday? Yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was another instance of Penn State, you know, kind of showing character and poise and, and all of the, the elements that are needed to survive a college football season. Like, that's to me, kind of the, the bottom line in this game, uh, particularly, yes, Auburn, but also just college football as a whole, is you need, as a team, to be able to weather a challenge, right? And Penn State faced it in spades uh, Saturday night. Yes, it was a home game, but the officiating was not to Penn State's favor in very many instances, if yeah. at all. And... On top of that, Auburn is good. <laughs> like, yeah. that's a good. That's a good Auburn team. It's a good football and so, team. Right. And so, like, you, look, like, sometimes you, you have a game where everything goes your way. You just – you come out early and you knock them in the teeth, and it might be a good, a good team that you're playing, but you just – you do the things. Everything goes the way that you want it to go. Uh, and like, for instance, Michigan a few years ago, right, where it was that 28-21 game and Penn State just had it rolling. And yes, Michigan started to come back. Yeah. But that was a game where Penn State just felt like it had the wind at its back the whole game. Saturday night was a contrast to that. It, it did not feel like Penn State had the wind at its back uh, for, for all of that game. It was a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and, and they just they had an answer for everything. And, and, you know, to be able to win in that style of a game, I, I just think bodes well for them moving forward. 
It, it was, you're right, they, and they've won a couple of different ways so far this season, and that is a big thing now, 3-0 and with two top 25 wins under their belt. We'll be getting to what that means for them coming up in just a little bit on the show, but Dave, I want to make sure we get to you and your thoughts about what that win was for Penn State last night, how you thought the game played out. What were your initial takeaways from the game? Yeah, I mean, my primary takeaway was Penn State won that game with its passing attack, you know, and, and that's a, a something that we obviously had a serious question about heading into this this season. Um, serious questions about Sean Clifford. But, you know, you look at the stats, 302 passing yards out of 391 total yards. They really could not run the ball very well at all. They averaged 2.7 yards per rush, which is not good. So... Yeah, that's that, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what I left the game thinking about was you know Mike Yersich, Sean Clifford, Penn State's weapons. That's that's what won that game for them. It, it wasn't, hey Sean, go manage the game for us. Don't turn the ball over. It was, hey Sean, we need you to win this game, and yeah. you did. So that's that's what I left uh, really impressed by. Yeah, and it was an efficient passing attack, and it was one that was, you're right, it, 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 it controlled the game for Penn State football at certain points and certain critical points as well. This is the question I have going, uh, just kind of a fun aside. I was trying to think last Saturday night of all of the whiteout games that have been, like, good games, you know, like... This one obviously lacks the divisional, you know, Big Ten East feeling about it. Like, the, the, the stakes were not as high because it was an Auburn team. But I thought the game, to both of your point, the way it played out for Penn State was a phenomenally watchable, fun game. Where does this whiteout rank for you in the ones that you can remember over the last couple of years? Uh, Nate, what do you think? Yeah, it's um, e either second or third, right? And yeah, that's pretty uh, good. Yeah, no, I would say so. I mean, I, I think that the Michigan game with the four overtimes in 2013, it, I mean, it just it kind of depends on your perspective. But in the moment, that 2013 game was so big because – uh, of, you know, kind of just the, the circumstances that the program was in at that time, right? It was just, it was just a very difficult time uh, for Penn State football and to be able to beat a ranked team and to do it in the fashion that they did was crazy, right? I mean, it just, it was bedlam. But that said, 2016, obviously Ohio State has to be right there, right? Like that, that is... um you know, that's a game where Penn State was really at, what, three and two, I think it was, right? Like, things were not particularly strong either in that sense. Uh, brought brought a number three or number two ranked Penn, or, uh, Ohio State team into Beaver Stadium. And, you know, nobody will ever, ever, ever forget that Grant Haley uh, uh, touchdown return off the field goal. So, no, it's... It's right there, though. Like that's the that's the whole thing. Is this was uh, an, an eminently watchable game? The crowd was into it the whole time. Yeah, it it, it had all the twists and turns. It it really did have everything. 
Yeah, I think that's a really fair point that nothing is going to top that 2016 game. I can't imagine. That's that's really what it is, though, as far as the stakes were a little bit lower in this game. But I think that's pretty clear for everyone that that 2016 game stands apart. It's among the rest of them that I think that is the interesting conversation. Dave, is that how you see it? And where would you put this one amongst your, uh, I guess, your personal favorites of watching the whiteout and, and the entertainment and the watchability for you? Yeah, I think... I think that's probably fair. I, you know, my frame of reference compared to you guys is much smaller. I'm a little bit newer to this, but um, my first one was that Ohio State game. Um, Pretty good yeah, place to start. Yeah, you'd have <laughs> to say. Uh, <laughs> so I think I would stick it behind that one for sure. But I, it was awesome. I had I had a great time. You know, I, I actually I'm writing about it a little bit uh, in my column today. But it, my my dad actually sent me a text. Um, when it ended and he's like, Hey, stop and smell the roses a little bit. That was awesome. And I was like, he's right. Yeah. That was really cool. Um, that was really fun. So yeah, I, I think definitely number two for me. I, I have to say, uh, my wife has been to, because I do this here and because I work with you guys, I haven't been able to go to a game ever with my wife just as a casual observer. She has been, and, and thus she goes to games without me when she does go to games. She has been to two games in the last five years. 2016, Ohio State, whiteout, and last Saturday. I, <laughs> I mean, she has gone to some of the best games that the whiteout has given Penn State over the years. I don't know how it happens because like, she, she, uh, she has friends that give her tickets here and there and she'll go to some and she won't go to some, but it seems like she just has this lucky streak of going to the best games that Penn State has played over the years. Where does that, and I want to go back to the 2019 one before we move on. The way that game was, it was super dramatic at the end. But it, what was missing from that game to put it in this conversation? Because I do think it is missing something from that game. Dave, what are your thoughts about like that 2019 game where Michigan could have won it on the final play and they drop a pass, but everyone just goes, eh, about that game? Yeah, it didn't have the same tension throughout, right? I, in, in this game on Saturday, you felt at almost any point, maybe not when Penn State was up, two scores briefly in the third quarter, I think it was, but you, you felt like Penn state could lose that game. Yeah. Um, that Michigan game. I didn't really feel like that until Michigan had the ball at the goal line and, and everyone's like, Oh my God. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of where I stand. It's just this game had so much jeopardy throughout it. And I, I do think that the officiating stuff that Nate kind of pointed to a little bit there too, is, is, is a factor because it, it it just gave the stadium this energy like you know we're being screwed over here and we're angry <laughs> about it so that it, that added a little bit to it for me too um yeah I, I think but really i go back to the jeopardy and and kind of the absence of it in that michigan game yeah yeah and uh we'll be getting to as we've alluded to and salvatore has been asking in the chat we will absolutely be talking about the officiating today uh we'll also be getting to some of the more uh game specific stuff over the course of the show here bwi live on monday thank you for joining us we're going to be doing this uh going forward throughout the season a live recap show with the staff of blue white illustrated and if you're joining us live right now we're going to be doing something this year with the super chats if you know what that uh, that is 
is. We've done it on a couple of videos now and you're back and you want to donate to the channel, all you got to do is put your donation in and your question will come up in a special box and I'll make sure we get to those questions. We'll be answering them throughout uh, the show today. So if you want to get your question answered, we'll be doing that with the super chat function and uh, you have the experts right in front of you. If you want to know something, have at it. We'll, we'll answer those questions. But I want to get to uh, this next question when it comes to Sean Clifford. And we've talked about it already. Dave, you hit on this. But Nate, you and I have been having this season-long dialogue about Sean Clifford, who he is as a quarterback, and what his performance level can be. You are one of the few people who has maintained the entire time that he's capable of those things. Now that he's shown it on the field, I know for you, probably doesn't change anything, but does that change what Penn State is capable of this season? No, because, well, I mean, not for me, just because I thought that Penn State was capable of quite a bit to begin with. Uh, and, And all of it for me was based on... Was... Was Sean Clifford the liability last year, or did he have to try to be something more than he was for them to have any chance at success based on the personnel issues that they were facing? That has been the eternal question about what last year was. Because to some people, you could look at it and say, no, there were enough solid pieces around him last season, even with the loss of Noah Kane even with Journey Brown out, uh, to, to be able to, to, to go out there and still win games, that that offense was still capable of winning games. My argument was that it wasn't. <laughs> My argument was that the, the loss of your two starting top-end running backs was too much to overcome in cl- with uh, an offensive line that was not anywhere close to where it needed to be uh, in a ground-up rebuild from Phil Troutwine there were unproven receivers after Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson last year, people forget, was an unproven receiver going into last season. All of those things, that was that was my whole summer pitch, was it, it wasn't Sean Clifford alone that right. cre- it, it lost, lost Pat Fryermuth three games yeah. into the year. <laughs> like like the, the Murphy's Law element of last year's offense created circumstances that made it untenable for Sean Clifford to have success. And it ended up biting him way worse and and affecting him personally way worse than it did everybody else. Right. Like, and that's just, that's the nature of the position. But I, I thought that it was, it was to a certain extent unfair. And so my frame of reference then throughout the off season was if you surround him with pieces that are capable that are not just capable, but really good. John Dotson is really good. Yeah. Noah Kane uh, probably hasn't lived up to maybe what expectations are, but yeah. those are good. Those are good running backs. That's a that's a good stable of running backs. Uh, the the tight ends, as they demonstrated on Saturday night, those are weapons. Like for to to have all of these weapons all over the place, and then have an offensive line that didn't allow him to be sacked against a defensive front that is very good, that we anticipate is very good. Both Auburn and Wisconsin, uh, that offensive line held its own. Yeah. So to have all of those elements in place where he doesn't have to go so far out of his way to try to do things that he's not capable of, 
allows him to, to focus in on what he is capable of. And I thought that he performed that and executed that. Per, like that was a Sean Clifford game. That is what he is capable of doing. Yeah. Maybe a little bit better than what we necessarily anticipate in terms of accuracy, but that's, that's him. That's, that's the style of game that I think Penn state can expect from him now and moving forward. Uh, Dave, you're, into the PFF stats, you know, the, I know people have problems sometimes with the grades, but what did you see from that perspective in Sean Clifford's performance that stood out to you as opposed to the two previous games where he was not as, I don't think was graded as highly by PFF. What stood out to you about what he did on Saturday? Yeah. Well, just looking at the big, bad grades that we don't like to talk about, um, <laughs> you know, his, his passing grade was five points higher than it was against ball state and, you know, this is Auburn, so obviously that carries a little little bit of weight. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was if you look at where he's throwing the ball, uh, the vast majority of it was over the middle of the field. Yes, yes. So that's something to me that I thought was a little interesting. Um, you know, Mike Yurcich is really attacking that that part of the field. And, and you know, I think that's kind of where you start seeing some success with your tight ends too, because Penn yep. state's tight ends were much better. So that's, that's one of the takeaways just looking at some of those advanced metrics that I had, but yeah, just kind of adding on to what Nate said. I mean, my thoughts entering the season about Sean Clifford were, you know, this is a guy who is capable of managing a game and is capable of not messing it up. If, if he's playing well, after last night, I feel like he's a guy who is capable of winning a game. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's I've I've changed my opinion. I, I definitely did not think that he had that gear, um, and he obviously does because we saw it. So. Yeah, and and <laughs> I'm gonna I, I've been getting some interesting comments about what I've said about the tight end so far this season, but Sean Clifford targeted them over the middle of the field. That, that, and, and that's something that hadn't happened this year. And using the whole field has been a thing for Penn State so far this season. And Sean Clifford, to me, the the one area still that is is missing from the game, and this is part what Auburn did, and if you want to check that out in my film study of what Auburn's plan of attack was, um, that's up at, uh, is it up now, Nate, or is it going to be up later? Uh, uh, going to be up in a little bit. It's going to, okay. After, so After the show. After the show, you can go check out the uh, my film study of what Auburn's plan of attack was, which was sort of surprising. But those deep shots still are not there for the Penn State offense, and that is the one area where you're still a little bit inconsistent. There were no good shots this time, so that's the thing. There were no open plays for him to have, so th there's nothing that I would, I would hold against him as far as he didn't hit the throws he needed to. He hit every single throw he needed to. He was efficient, he was accurate, and he was comfortable in the pocket. And and even in clean pockets so far this year, he hasn't looked that way. And to me, that's the difference of we have the stats, we have the metrics to back it up. But when you watch the film and you watch him play, that confidence in the pocket, the calmness that he exhibited in the first half versus uh, Wisconsin when he was under pressure and then, you know, some of the, the throws were or weren't there, he still had that calmness in the pocket. Now the accuracy came with it. 
And that's that's a huge thing because you have to be able to consistently make the right decisions and deliver the ball with the right accuracy to the right part of the field. And he did all of those things exactly how he was supposed to. And, and you said it earlier, Dave, he is the reason that Penn State won that game offensively. And that's a huge step forward in a game where that hasn't always been the case for Penn State in these big games. It felt like, as, as Nate said, they had an answer every time because... As much as the ground game was fits and starts, there were moments it was working. And a part of the offense that wasn't working before, but is working now, were the tight ends. And Nate, feel free. <laughs> Bring it on. Well, no, no I mean, I, I sent you a text in the game. I won't repeat it word for word, but... <laughs> T Frank, you've been you've been you've been uh, underwhelmed previously. I think that's a nice diplomatic way to put it. You've been yeah. underwhelmed by what the tight ends are, and you, you know uh, I, I can't help but play devil's advocate against myself and on your behalf. Uh, and something that kind of ties to the last point: Penn State's two longest passes on Saturday were to the tight ends, thirty-seven yep. yards and forty yards, and. Something that I think is of note, neither one of those were contested catches. Yep. They, there was nobody close. Those were those busted gaffes. coverages. Those were completely Correct. schematic gaffes by Auburn. And so and so, I, I do think that to your credit and to your point, there probably still are some questions, um, you know, what those guys are going to look like when it's it's a harder catch to make, right? Mike Kosicki did it all the time, uh, making tough contested catches. Pat Fryermuth did it. Uh, we, we have not seen these guys in those situations, which is not to say that Mike Yersich still can't find the hole in the defense and exploit it with his tight ends, right? So, I mean, that's, to me, look, they, they did what they needed to do when given the opportunity. There are still questions that are out there about just how good they can be. But, I, I, you know, look, again, you've got direct snaps out of the backfield. You've got three of them on the field at a time, two of them. You've got them in an H back, like fullback kind of role. Uh, these guys, these guys are doing a lot of different things for Penn state's offense. And I think that that the totality of it is, is, is what makes them so dangerous is that, that they're that versatile as a group. I, I, I in my response to you, on Saturday was, I'm going to be the worst sports dad ever. Because you're right. I see the potential that these guys have. I see how much talent they have. This is the same thing I got in trouble with when I when I wanted more out of Saquon Barkley to have a complete game as a running back. People are like, are you nuts? The dude is awesome. I'm like, yes, but he's got more to give. Like, he is that talented. And these, t these tight ends... I see that they have more to give. So when I don't see it, I'm a little disappointed because I want to see good football. And, and, and tight ends, the way you can use them in football now, it is super fun. And, and the ability with the versatility of these guys, we are seeing it in fits and starts. But last night, it was a, or I'm sorry, on Saturday night, it was a big step forward for them from a production standpoint. But... When it comes to the position, I think they still have some some room to grow, some growing to do. I, I want to get to this because uh, Ryan coming off the top rope with our super chat today, uh, he wants to know, I'm cautiously optimistic 
as a Penn State fan, convince me this team is going to be able to get it done against Iowa, Ohio State, etc. I mean, I was getting ahead of myself today on the Daily Edition talking about games in the future, like, you know, the Iowa, Ohio State games. But now he wants to, he wants you guys to say they can get it done. Can you say that to him, Dave? Uh, I can say it about Iowa. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have questions about Iowa's realness. Um, you know, their big win was at Iowa State. And I think if you look at some of the underlying numbers there, um, there are some reasons to believe that that was not um, the result that would typically happen in a game that had that, that script. Uh, but obviously, you know, that's going to be a huge game there big atmosphere on the road that's not going to be easy but I certainly I'm confident that they can win that game and Ohio mm-hmm. State look you know they look vulnerable yeah um, they did not play well against Tulsa this weekend I think right Tulsa yeah. they were only up 20 to nothing at halftime against Tulsa. oh no um, <laughs> I think I think Tulsa had the ball with a chance to tie the game late um, Nate and I were kind of paying attention in the press box a little bit mm-hmm. but yeah you know those are you know, probably the two biggest games on Penn State's schedule. But if you look at it from a Penn State perspective, you know, Penn State has the secondary to match some of the weapons that these teams have on the outside. You look at the wide receivers that Ohio State has, Chris Olave, right? Um, you need that. And and yeah. it looks like Penn State's passing game is going to be good enough to to keep up if they have to in a game like in a game like that. Um, but the the question that I have is uh, against the run on defense and in the running game on offense. Um, the, for, for me to feel like they can win or will win both of those games, I need to see improvements there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not – certainly, I think they can beat Iowa. I, I, maybe coin flip, maybe 60-40 Penn State there right now. Uh, I don't know about Ohio State yet. And it's on the road too, and I. So right. this is one thing that, um, and I know Nate, you were at the the stadium when this game was going on, but C.J. Stroud against that that uh, Oregon defense, he missed throws. Like we've we have given a lot of flack to Sean Clifford for missing throws. At least I have. There were some throws that were they're high, they were wide, they were not great throws. Now, he did throw for almost 400 yards in that game, and he did make enough plays that Ohio State was in that game. But to your point, Dave, uh, they are not invincible this year. Is there something to that to you, Nate? Uh, Two two things, just because I don't want to give Ryan uh, short shrift here. Uh, He's asking the wrong question. It's not Iowa and Ohio State. It's how do they match up against Alabama? Right, like when they're in the playoffs. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? You got, you guys are no fun. Uh, oh. a much more relevant question. Um, no, look, like I, 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 I love uh, being thirty thousand feet, and from thirty thousand feet, college football quarterbacks aren't good. That's the whole point. Yeah, the point of the game is not. That's that's why that's what defenses do is make the quarterback beat you. There are some who can, uh, but if if you're Penn State going into that game, which is so far ahead, obviously right now, but like yeah, yeah. make the quarterback beat you. Make the quarterback beat you. That's it. Is make make him win the game. Um, is, is he capable? Probably, but maybe not. And so it's 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 always a gamble in those circumstances. But when you have a secondary 
that is as talented as Penn State's, uh, if you can, like, again, these are the absolute fundamentals of a Brent Pride defense is stop the run. Yeah. Do what you have to do to stop the run and then take your chances. But your chances are much better when Jaquan Brisker is standing there deep. Right. Yeah. Like that's that's the whole that's that's the ball game. So we'll see. Got a couple more things I want to talk about on offense, but I want to thank uh, Big Aqua for giving us a shout out, saying he loves the content, uh, loves that the channel is growing, and uh, big ups from Minnesota. I hear it's beautiful there this time of year. If you want to ask a question in the chat, you can use the Super Chat function, donate something in channel so we can keep this Monday show rolling. By the way, if you're watching and you've enjoyed it so far, tell your friends. Uh, we're only in, I think, week two or week three of doing it so far. So uh, we want to make sure that people know about the show and they can keep coming back and coming back and getting this unfiltered content of, of Ryan saying that Penn State is going to the college football playoff and they're going to challenge Alabama for uh, a win in the playoff. Because that's... That's the analysis you're coming for here, right? That's, that's exactly right. That's what you want to hear. Um, uh, the, the next thing that I want to know, this win, two top 25 wins, a win in that environment on Saturday day, what does that do for Penn State? And how does that set them up for the schedule for the rest of the season? Well, first, I just want to ensure that Big Aqua is not a fellow Minnesota Vikings fan. And if he is, tell him I, he has to reach out to me and we can start a kickers support group. But um, <laughs> uh, to answer your question, I think, you know, I went into this season thinking that a successful season, Penn State's kind of ceiling-ish would have been 9-3, and three, kind of on the edge of the New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl discussion maybe you sneak in um and now i feel like you know maybe they they can look a little higher than that maybe they can think about the big 10 east maybe they can think about the big 10 especially because as we just talked about ohio state hasn't been great so you know i i think that's kind of what it means it, it means that penn state can you know or, or penn state fans because we know penn state doesn't like to look beyond next week as they say repeatedly but Penn State fans can can start to think, okay, you know, maybe there's a little bit more to this. Maybe we don't have to be conservative in what we're expecting. Maybe we can hope, um, you know, that we can reach uh, some some of the the higher goals that everyone who follows the program clamors for. I, I don't think it's out of the question, and, and I certainly entered the season thinking that it was. So that that's kind of what it means to me. I think. So just wrapping up one last thing before we get to the defensive side of the ball. We've had a couple questions in the chat about that. Um, so first off, big ups. Thanks for PSU UK. Somebody I'm assuming that means United Kingdom and not University of Kentucky. I would love it if we're uh, streaming live in England. Uh, he says the head of the SEC uh, ref at that game was an Auburn fan. I, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> but we're not going to, we're not, I just wanted to have a, a UK fan. I'm going to assume, I'm just going to go with the fact that he's from the United Kingdom and I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, you know, a little bit of that. T Frank, when his house burns down, he's going to come straight to us, man. Thanks a lot. All it was was his Twitter handle. I mean, if he's on Twitter and he's an official, he knows what he's signing up for. First off, he knows what he's signing up for. He's an official. You did. Uh, you were the reporter tasked with asking the question of what in the hell was that? Mm -hmm. So what did they say? What in the hell was that? 
Uh, you know, so I was the, I am the pool reporter for Penn State uh, football. So when a, a situation like this comes up, it is my uh, obligation to to be the representative of uh, the media. Uh, and so that's what I was preparing to do for a solid two and a half quarters until Penn State's media arm came to me and said, hey, by the way, this is an SEC staff or this is an SEC officiating crew and the SEC prohibits its officials from speaking to reporters. And so the weight of the world just lifted it off. <laughs> That's of a my better shoulder. story than anything they could have said. Well, that is I mean, way look, better look, of an answer that we are no, not I, going to answer anything. Exactly. I mean, I got two things. One is everybody that I spoke to after the game, you, you know, look like you, you just have to own that. You, you, yeah. Like, right. Like, so the loss of a down, you, you, there is no possible justification. And so trying to skirt that and trying to get around it, uh, I, I think would have been even worse of a look than actually making the mistake. Uh, it is inexcusable that that many people had a chance to chime in, right? Like, yeah, they made it sound like there was no, internal disagreement over this right yeah. like that's that that's the the troubling thing is there wasn't one voice who said hey let's stop the game right now yeah let's watch the last two minutes and and get this thing right um that that is that defies belief uh in this day and age that that could not have been made right in the moment because their justification what they actually said in the statement that the sec released was an ownership of Hey, a mistake was made. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was a gaffe. It, but because once it was realized that the gaffe had been made, that Penn State had already punted, yeah. it could not be reversed. There, yeah. could, there could not be a revisiting uh, of that situation. So that uh, leads me into my next question, and I want to give this to Dave because I went back and watched it again. Uh, I watched the situation unfold on on camera, and the, the 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 statement says during the next media timeout it was discovered. James Franklin stopped the game. He made them go talk about it. They agreed. There's a there's the 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 head referee made an announcement to the stadium that it was in fact fourth down. I have seen a couple of people say that obviously the refs are taking the brunt of the blame, but like. Should James Franklin have done more in that situation? Should he've gone and laid on the football? Like, what is the what is the <laughs> responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen? Like, how much more can he have done in that situation? I yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I feel like I, I led the witness there, but it, <laughs> your thoughts? <laughs> I I think that just throwing a total tantrum and making it this huge thing might send a message to your team that you don't want to send. Because in reality, look, it's inexcusable. It's awful. It could have had a massive, massive influence on the outcome of the game. I think it was third and 12. It would have been or something. So the odds of Penn State converting that are slim. Um, and, you know, it sending a message to your team that you, you know we're being screwed we have no chance uh, if this doesn't get overturned we're just you know that's it i'm i'm just gonna freak out i don't think that's ideal so maybe i, I might stop short of the laying on the football option 
but certainly well, managers do it all the time. That's all I thought is it, you know, if a minor <laughs> league manager can go out there and he can steal home plate, then maybe James Franklin can go kick the football into the stands or something. I don't know. Yeah. He, Mike, needs, he needs to take some lessons from Bobby <laughs> Cox, I guess. But um, yeah. Now Mike, Mike Taylor in the chat, he's got it right. You call timeout. Yeah. That's if, if there's, I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things though, where you don't put ownership of, the rectifying the issue on the person who is aggrieved, right? Like, right. That's it. That's not. Right. But if there if there was recourse, if there was something that he could have done, that that would have been it for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's a good point. That is that is the the because, one thing he could have done, but you know, should he have to? That's that's the yeah. question again. Is should he have to? Wasn't wasn't? Uh, and I'm I'm forgetting. It's escaping me. But I mean, this this happened at Wisconsin with. Wasn't it the targeting call? Targeting or, call. Yep. Right. Like uh, Paul Christ called time. That that play would not have been reviewed had it not been for Paul Christ calling timeout. Yep. And they got that timeout back uh, once that targeting call was was reviewed and he was ejected. So, you know, maybe 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 that would have been a way to handle it. But I, I think there, there there's a broader issue here, which is that was the most egregious officiating mistake. But it was one of many that were problematic yeah. through the evening. It right? wasn't uh, that wasn't even the first time that the chains had been wrong. James Franklin had to correct them about the chains moving at one point as well, I believe. And that was one thing that Kirk Herbstreet mentioned on the broadcast. But that wasn't even one of the obvious on the field things. Yeah, it's, I mean, what again? Like people that I talked to that were on the field. Uh, nobody heard. Oh, and now, granted, you you never know. Uh, it was so loud. Nobody heard a whistle on the PJ Mustafer fake punt. Yeah. Um, you know, like forward progress, what, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like there was, there was no indication that they had blown that, uh, blown that play dead that, you know, look like, and obviously he got it if, if there was no whistle. So that's problematic. The, the two, uh, you know, um, intentional grounding calls, one called on Penn state, one not called on both yeah. Knicks. Yeah. Do you guys remember the one that happened to Sean Clifford in 2019? It's not even the first time somebody's called that intentional grounding on a miscommunication. I don't understand how officials don't understand intentional grounding. Where well, you, you you saw Parker Washington like he it was they were they were very clearly looking at each other and yeah. Parker broke the he broke the route off like yeah. But there's what no there? the 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 point. See, this is the the point of intentional grounding is to avoid a sack. Like, I don't know if uh, Brandon Smith is coming free up the middle and you have to roll out of the pocket and throw the ball away inside the tackle box. That'd be intentional grounding. A miscommunication with no pressure whatsoever yeah. is not intentional ground. Like, it, 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 it's, it's the if this, then that. And it didn't meet the first criteria. I just don't understand why this keeps happening to Sean Clifford because it happened in a game, and I think it was Purdue in 2019. He threw the ball down the seam. I think it was K.J. Hamler. He was trying to target. There was another miscommunication, and he got called for intentional grounding. I don't know how this keeps happening. The fact that that, that, is made, that, make, that mistake is made once, but like, I think it might just be that refs don't like Sean Clifford for some reason because that's the only thing I can come up with it seems to be a him specific thing I've never seen a misadjudication of intentional grounding like that and it's happened twice it's just purely mystifying to me 
He's in the big red doghouse. <laughs> uh, I gotta go. We've we've spent uh, about 20 minutes on the offense, about 10 minutes on the referees, so we're right on schedule for what we should be talking about on the show today. Uh, we do have to talk about the defense before we wrap up, and uh, you know this obviously is the side of the ball that if you start with the secondary, they are playing lights out. This is a team that has done a phenomenal job of recruiting talent and then deploying that talent in the secondary. Dave, is this secondary good enough to go back to Ryan's question earlier? Are they good enough to go toe-to-toe with anyone they go on the schedule? Can they carry this team and this defense? If they continue to produce takeaways at the same rate, yes, definitely. If they don't, um, I think we're going to have some problems uh, You know, in the run game. You're, you're going to see teams just run the ball repeatedly against Penn State. Um but yeah, I, I definitely think as far as defending the pass goes, yeah, it, it might be. I would say it's one of the top five secondaries in the country. I don't have a problem with saying that. So certainly, I would. Sorry, my cat is breaking in a little bit here. I thought she was out of the room. She's not. Um, it's all good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would expect that uh, teams are going to start running the ball uh, repeatedly against Penn State, and until. Penn State proves that they can stop it, it might not matter how good their secondary is. Uh, Nate, what are your thoughts on the Penn State secondary? Just how good can they be? Well, I just I just want to chime in and say that I thought that those two backs from Auburn were very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I oh, thought, yeah. Right? Like, I mean, sometimes you just got to take what you're given. And the fact that, you know, look, like putting together drives of 15 plays – even on the ground, even when you're having success is very challenging at this level. And so Auburn did it a couple of times, uh, at least once, I should say, um, you know, Saturday night. So, the, you know, at, at some point you got to tip your cap to to the guy that that you're playing. Um, but no, nah, it's look, uh, I'm surprised that they didn't have more takeaways on Saturday night. I thought they, they had a few opportunities that. Yeah. They weren't able to come down with uh, Castro Fields had there was a pass deep down the uh, to my vantage point, the left sideline um, that he just he didn't quite track, but he had an inside yep. uh, vantage point on. Uh, and then even, you know, it's kind of silly to point it out, but Brisker could have intercepted the, the last pass of the game. Yeah. Uh, and there were two. And this is something, again, a couple of things here. There were two based on his coverage alignment. One of them was he was playing cover two and they had two guys going down, uh, down deep downfield. He was playing the guy, not the ball. If he had played the ball, you know, expecting it to go out the back of the end zone, like just based on alignment, he could have had another two. And one of them was the play before where he kind of, I think he pulled a cramp, he had a cramp or something and he couldn't quite get to the ball. Bo Nix was not accurate. And, And yeah, they could have had at least two or three other plays on the ball in that game. And, and they, they played well enough in those situations. Tariq Castro fields though, has been a little up and down. You mentioned the ball. He could have had a play on, there were a couple situations at the end of games and then some situations in the game where they got lucky and the receiver fell down on what could have been a big play. Are you concerned, Nate, about his play so far? Um, 
you know, I don't know if concerned is the word, but is it something to watch? Sure. When when you've got a kid like Kalen King, you know, kind of waiting in the wings, um, you know, maybe maybe you start to see that distribution change a little bit. But I I always take the coaches at their word, and their word is both what they say and how snap distributions play themselves out. Right? Like it's there's. Yes, they think the world of Tariq Castro Fields and think that he's a heady veteran and, uh, you know, all, all of those good things. But also the fact that he's playing as much as he is, they don't, there is no like, oh, we're rewarding the senior. Like that doesn't exist at this level, <laughs> right? He's playing because they feel more confident with him than they feel with the next guy. Um, you know, so that, that, maybe raises some questions about uh, susceptibility, some vulnerabilities that they might have. But o- overall, I-, I think that, uh, you know, look, like they, they have confidence in him and that's that's their option. That's who they're going to continue to go with. Yeah, yeah. And and he, to, to point out, he has not played bad. There have just been, of the guys in the secondary so far, he has been the one that has been targeted with a little bit more success. Joey Porter Jr. has taken a big step forward. Uh, I did a, a BWI Daily today on this particular topic of just how good is the secondary and how good they can be. Him making more plays on the ball and being at the catch point is a big thing. And you somebody's got to be thrown on. And so far, he's the only guy that anyone's really had success against. Penn State hasn't allowed more than 175 yards, or it's under 200 yards passing. I don't know the exact number, but under 200 yards passing in any game so far this season. So they have put a lid on everything, and they've been making plays on the ball. Uh, Dave, to your point about the running game, and I want to circle back to this. This is my only thing to say about the running game. It is a problem in certain aspects. There are problems, I think, with gap uh, dependability in the, in, in the front seven, where especially on the backside of runs, sometimes the gap integrity gets a little loose. Guys that are filling in in the run game aren't hitting that properly at all times. But the important thing to know is they are getting stops and getting tackles behind the line of scrimmage. For every two or three runs they give up that are eight or nine yards because of that gap integrity. They're also shooting into the backfield. Jesse Lucada, PJ Mustafer, Brandon Smith, uh, Arnold Ebikiti, they are getting on the other line of scrimmage, other side of the line of scrimmage and making big time plays. Through the, through the first four weeks of the season so far, Penn State is leading the Big Ten in stops, according to PFF. Those are tackles three yards and in or behind the line of scrimmage. Anything that would be a win for the defense. So they're getting their fair share of wins. The only other two teams that are ahead of them are Illinois and Nebraska. And if that's weird in your mind of why are those two bad teams ahead of them, they've played an extra game. They played each other week zero. So they are far and away the best team so far in getting stops. So as long as that continues, as long as they're able to make negative plays and put teams situationally in third and long, I don't think that the, that the ground game should be a, you know, a, a massive concern because you have to, you have to play football in a certain way, right? So they have played two teams that want to run the football. 40 times and what was it almost 50 times for Wisconsin you're just gonna get yards at a certain point you're going to get yards uh is that a fair thing uh, to say on on that uh Dave or do you are you still have concerns about the the running game and how much they can generate uh stops and and you know just in general contain the running game 
Yeah, I think it's fair, but I would also point out that because they've played those two teams that run the ball a ton, they have more opportunity to get those that stops counting stat too, as you know what I mean. So um, that's kind of what I would say to that. But yeah, look, I'm not saying it's not fixable. I'm not saying that it's going to be a problem when they play Indiana or, you know, Michigan State or or even Michigan. But, you know, Auburn has a good running back. Ohio State has a good running back, too. Yeah. You know, so so if if you're if you're prove, proving to these other teams with elite ground games that you're going to play that hey we're a little bit vulnerable to this, then I would just have some concerns about your ability to 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 win those huge games. That's all. I I'm not saying that Penn State can't go ten and two or you know nine and three without fixing its 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 run defense. I am saying that it might hold them back in those gigantic games if they can't get it find a solution that's all uh we got another question uh about the offense and this is a good one from ryan as far as what we're going to see going forward uh is there a chance we see more of john lovett in the coming weeks not necessarily as a replacement but as a compliment uh i think that that's a, a really good question because that that third running back has been up in the air up until this point and john lovett has done the most so far in one game with that situation uh nate what's your read on that yeah, no, I think, I mean, they wouldn't have brought him in if they didn't think that he could have a role. That's yeah. kind of the bottom line there. And I, I think that absent his, like, it, to be honest with you, even from, uh, you know, however you want to describe my vantage point, that w- he was a guy who I wasn't quite sure where he fit, like, in, in terms of what, what is the actual pe- pecking order. Yeah. Where, where's Keziah Holmes? Um, where's John Lovett? Because publicly... James Franklin has said now on a few occasions uh, that I don't want to put this the wrong way, but my perspective is that he has basically alluded to the fact that uh, Devin Ford is being undervalued a little bit in terms of what he represents to uh, that offense. They, they, they think that the role for, for Devin Ford will continue to grow. He Mm -hmm. said it as recently as Thursday on his radio show. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the, the big question for Penn State, and it's, this is nothing new, where is the home run threat out of that backfield? And, yep. and to me, I, I saw the potential of that more in John Lovett than I have seen otherwise. Do you, uh, right? do you see him with with the way Kevon Lee has been pressing? And I think that's the best way to put it is fumbling the ball, making too many cuts. When he touches the ball, dramatic things happen, good and bad. Do you see yes. John Lovett taking some snaps from Kevon Lee going forward, or is is that up in the air as well? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I, I just, again, broader perspective, there are... If you look at all of the option, all of the, the skill position pieces that Penn State has, um, there's just there's just a, a, a harvest of opportunity, yeah. right? Uh, and so, yeah, does Jahan Dotson have to be on the field just about every play? Yes, period. Yep. But yeah. is, is there such a separation among the other players, right? So in the tight end room, is Brenton Strange so far ahead of everybody else that he gets all of the snaps? No, no. And so that's why you see Tyler Warren. That's why you see 
uh, Theo Johnson. Same, same thing with the running backs. Is Noah Kane so far ahead that it doesn't warrant in, in circumstance-specific opportunities for some of those other guys to get a look and to get a, a, a swing pass out of the backfield? No, like they, those guys are going to be there. They're going to get those chances. Uh, and so I think that if anything, if I have a perspective on this, it's Mike Yersich is being treated as a chef with many, many, many ingredients. And sometimes you use those ingredients, like, like you don't use everything in the pantry. Yeah. You, you don't like on every, on every dish, but when those options are there, it allows you to exploit whatever it is that a defense is giving you, whatever problems there are, he, he has an answer for those things. And I think that he has an answer because of the ingredients that he has to work with. Yeah. And I want to go, this is a good transition. Thanks again, Ryan, for uh, the chat. Uh, this is a good transition to me to the the plays or the keys of the game, the, the key moments in the game on Saturday, because that John Lovett screen pass, and I, I broke that one down in detail in my film study because it was so good. That two-play sequence to me was the moment of the game because it was a it was a big shift in Penn State was able to get points in that situation, and they did it through a very unique use of tempo and precision. And if you want to see more about that, bwi.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Once I start yakking, stop yakking uh, Nate's ear off. We'll have that up for you at Blue White Illustrated. Guys, what were your keys to the game? What were your your uh, key moments in the game? And Dave, we'll start with you. Yeah, just on the last point real quick. 18 snaps for John Lovett, six of them, 16 of them passes. So yeah, I yep. think we might know what his role is. But yeah, as far as, you know, my key moment, I mean, I'll take the easy one. It's it's the, the fourth down stand there at the goal line. Um you know, questionable play call from Auburn, I would say, uh, on that on that fourth down. But, you know, it's another example of Penn State's defense being really good in the red zone. Um, Auburn had got them the, the first two times, but uh, they, went in the, they went into the red zone. But Penn State, you know, and, and at the most important time, got the stop that they needed. Um, so, yeah, that's that's to me, that's that's the big moment. That's where Penn State won the game. So, uh, Nate, what about you? Yeah, I think I think the fumble um, to to open the third quarter. Just if your opponent is going to hand you points, uh, mm -hmm. and then you are able to take advantage of it, um, it just the fact that Auburn started the second half with the ball and was in a position to kind of take control of the game, and, and then Auburn gets tricky offensively, right? Like, I mean, they were trying to be cute. Like that yeah. to me, that was like. If you're an Auburn fan, you're going crazy over not necessarily just what happened on that play, but the fact that it was called in the first place. Because mm -hmm. like there was no, I, I don't know. They just they didn't need to do it because they had they had already demonstrated that that a v purely vanilla approach had worked. There was a there was a way forward for them. Right. Um, and so to to cough that ball up, Penn State gets some easy points off of it. Uh, I, I thought that was was a key one. And then can I can I like add an extra one or an extra two? Sure. Sure. I thought that the decision to kick the field goal by Auburn uh, at the end of the third quarter was awful. Yeah. Right. Picking up short yards had not been an issue for them at all. They were in third and short all game. 
and to be in that circumstance and not go for it. And, and just again, like we keep talking about this, if you're at Beaver stadium, you got to go for the throat, like, yeah, go win the game. Yeah. Go win the game. Like, where is that attitude? Here, uh, and so here's how I, I always thought, say that you don't know how many points you need at the end of the game. So yep. when you have a chance, get as many as possible field goals, I've heard this. I've heard it said this way before. Field goals are turnovers with a participation trophy. You need <laughs> points. Mike Yersich is not a guy that is going to go. Oh, you know what? Twenty eight's enough. Like if they could have yep. scored thirty five, they would have scored thirty five. And and you just don't know how many points you need by the end of the game. So don't turn them down when you have the opportunity to them. What was your What was your final moment that you thought was a, a key factor in the game? The last one is the the pass interference that John Dotson drew. Yep, uh, that's a good uh, one. You're you're backed up against your own end zone, almost a safety, arguably a safety, uh, the play before. And so for Sean Clifford to just get back there and chuck one up, uh, that was underthrown on purpose yeah. uh, to, to, to get the call there, which was the right call. Um, but but to, to have that sequence play out the way that it did was extremely important because the feel very much was Auburn was – prime to score right yeah. uh right like they they had missed their first chance but if you give them another one they're they're it felt like they were going to get in the end zone there uh and that just radically transformed the last two minutes of that ball game we are going to wrap up here in just a couple of minutes just a quick couple of moments so if you got a final question you want to ask in the super chat let us know what you want to what you want to have answered and we'll get it to you quickly here before we wrap up the show uh, I do want to say thank you because I think we have a blue band member who is a fan of the show Alex has always missed the live post game because of band I'm assuming it's the blue band at that point but listens on the way to class so thanks appreciate that tell the rest of the blue band that we uh, think they do a great job and uh, if you guys want to listen we're always here live on YouTube post game, and we have a podcast and a, uh, a replay of the show live wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. So guys, game MVPs, I think there was a lot of them uh, to choose from. So who were your MVPs on Saturday night? Uh, Dave, we'll start with you. It's it's Sean Clifford for me. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, if if you missed the beginning of the show, I he's the reason Penn State won the game. He is. He, he he was safe. He was efficient. He made big plays when he had to. He made good decisions. He did turn it over once, but really that wasn't a consequential turnover. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. He was he was great. Uh, I think that's probably, as far as big games go, his his best big game in a Penn State uniform by far. Um, he really he was so much better than I was expecting. So he, he's he's my player of the game. Nate. Uh, obviously Clifford is, is the best choice, but a, a very close second, maybe more than, uh, even I'm acknowledging John Dotson catches everything. Oh my gosh, like he's so awesome. <laughs> like I, 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 I don't think we appreciate enough how good he has been. Uh, when, when you get a guy at that level who, I mean, he was third team all big 10 last year. Right. Yeah. And, and like, and that was coming off of a great season. Uh, I, I think that my hope is that the talent that he truly represents is started to, to be appreciated a little bit more because that is a massive difference maker. We're talking about how good of a game Sean Clifford had. He had a great game. 
And part of the reason he had a great game is because he's got a guy who he can rely on, who you get it in the zip code, and yeah. he's going to come down with it. He's going to come down with it. That, I don't... that catch in the back of the end zone was was spectacular. Yeah. Uh, the the one handed that he like those are key plays and key moments. Um, he, he just it cannot be overstated, understated. I, I always mess that up, but he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's he's really good. Yeah. And he had another another good game. Uh, yeah, that, that catch, that one-handed catch, uh, I don't think people realize how hard that is to do. To be, to have that level of body control in the air, to have your hands independent of the rest of your body in your mind. Like, your brain's ability to operate multiple parts of your body in, in unison, but in different aspects. Like, the level of dexterity that takes is insane. And he is just, he makes it look like, it's not a big deal, and I just, like, that is one of those things that's always super impressive when athletes do crazy things. That's why I love football, because you see the craziest stuff happen in football, and Jahan Dotson doing that is right up there with some of the crazier things I've seen on a football field. Uh, just to chime in briefly, uh, I had an interview with Dwight Galt before, the, so Penn State strength coach, before the first game of the season, and I asked who had the best hand-eye coordination on the team which was not necessarily asking for a receiver or a running back or right. I mean, it could have been a, a defensive back, whatever. And he just said the, his quick twitch, like the, his ability to make his hands work in unison with his brain is at a level unlike many things that he's seen ever. And so the entire preseason training camp, they there was talk about just he, he's just making spectacular plays um and i think that that's that's coming uh, to fruition so far this year yeah and it's uh, we're we are the benefit of it the people who follow Penn State football either as fans or people who appreciate good football i i just love watching i love watching that stuff happen um uh want to thank eric for the nice words in the chat i want to thank everyone for coming in today and for watching the show as we wrap up put a bow on Penn State versus uh Auburn the 28-20 white out win i'll give you my mvp quickly and I, I think it's unfair that we're all staying on the offensive side of the ball when I do think there were some pretty special standouts on the defensive side of the ball. I want to give honorable mention to P.J. Mustafer because the reason that Auburn had those plays, and I, again, I get into this in film study, is because P.J. Mustafer had one of his better performances as a Penn State Nittany Lion. So he was great on the interior. But to me, when it comes down to everything we just talked about, whether it's Jahan Dotson or whether it is Sean Clifford, they were all put into a great position to succeed by Mike Yersich. I, I was super impressed with the game he called. And I know a lot of people have problems with the, the short yardage runs and, and the trick plays. I think early on, they were trying to hit a big play and they're trying to get an over-pursuit by Auburn. And when he realized they weren't going to do that, they went away from it. And, and that, it takes the maturity, that takes a creative intelligence to be able to move on from what you want to do and just start calling the game. The concepts and the levels of intricacy in some of the play fakes that they had are our are, are next level. And it just to me, it was super impressive. So as much as I think the players on the field were the ones that determined the winning and losing of the game, I it's been a while since I've seen a Penn State offensive coordinator that has had that creativity to not only use formations and players and personnel properly, but then to know yourself and to break your own tendencies to then break the defense. And and I thought there was a lot of that going on. So that'll be my MVP of uh, of the game on Saturday. 
but it was very much a good team win for Penn State football. Now they have Villanova coming up next week. And uh, if you love the show, please come back. Don't don't go, ah, oh, it's Villanova. We'll see you next week. We're going to provide you insight no matter who the opponent is, even if they bring back Idaho, okay? So we are going to bring all of that to you here next week. And, of course, we'll have the postgame show, BWI Live postgame show. I'll be bringing you the instant reaction and analysis to that. For uh, Dave Eckert and for uh, Nate Bauer, I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. This has been BWI Live, our Monday show. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, right here on YouTube. We will talk to you next week.